You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Starring Pete Ruggieri, Larry Maris, and Jason Lewis. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. So sit back and enjoy some Masonic conversation without pretension. And now, here's your hosts, Pete, Larry, and Jason. Hey, and we're here at Masonic Lake Podcast, episode number 35. All right. That's right. Yeah, 35. Right. 35. And um, due to our technical difficulty or our dif- technical limitations, we have our guest this week on the phone with us already. Um, so, hi, Oscar. Good afternoon or good evening, I should say, depending on the East Coast. So, good evening, brothers. How are you? Very good. And is, what's the correct pronunciation of your last name? Is it Alan or Elaine? Alan. Alan. Okay, okay. What's the correct pronunciation of your first name? <laughs> oh, the real first is, oh, yes, that's right. We just call him Oscar. Okay, so what, what's your birth name? Oscar. Oscar's my middle name. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I was just at a, a well, few... you ducked out of that one, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> someone said to me, it's going to be a pretty tough uh, interview. So I came ready. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I was just yeah. at a few, I was just at a funeral. My uncle is from India and like, yeah. we just always knew him as KC. Yeah. Well, apparently there was initials. Um, and the, the K, <laughs> the K is like a foot and a half long and 14 old. font. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So my first name, to which you're uh, asking the question, is El Cumido, uh, which is Spanish and means he who carries the flame or bears the torch. Oh, I thought it Whoa. was a car. Oh, that's... that's El Camino. Oh, sorry. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to just kind of we're going to talk to Oscar in a minute, but he can chime in whenever he wants. We're going to go around the room like we normally do. Um, Jason, have you done anything Masonically? Um, I'm asking your radius. You have a full Twizzler in your mouth. Nope, I'm good. Uh, we had a special meeting this month. We had to vote on a uh, candidate over the summer, and it's been picnic season, so it's been a lot of uh, Scottish Rite Club action and uh, summer picnic for my Blue Lodge, and that's really about it. Okay. And Jack, you had something. You had some stuff going on, and some stuff with Oscar. I had. Uh, I did have some stuff going on. We. I went up uh, last Saturday to Westfield, New Jersey, to an AMD Allied Masonic Degrees in gathering. And Oscar was there, and uh, everybody on either side of Oscar had to move over to allow room for his Masonic brain, because uh, he's a he's a Masonic wealth. Um, but it was a great meeting. Um, it was it's actually I don't know if you know Oscar, but that was my father's home lodge when we oh. lived in Westfield. So it was kind of like a, a homecoming that I never went to before. So that was cool. AP, AP is a classic. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, he was actually Atlas before the merger, but anyway. Um, we had four speakers, um, and it's going to reflect a little bit on my uh, Masonic news tonight. But um, the room in the room we had uh, we had uh, two Muslim speakers, no, one Muslim speaker, two Jewish speakers, and uh, uh, a Christian speaker, and a Taoist who stood up on the sidelines. So it was it was beautifully reflective of Freemasonry. I thought it was awesome. So a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, and Taoist walk into a lodge. That's where right. I came from, right? Yes, exactly. 
But Larry was nowhere to be found. Larry was no. He was taking a nap, I think. Yeah. But, Larry, uh, and oh, then sorry. I'm sorry. And then uh, we had a we had a um, a stated meeting this month, which no one ever does. Uh, but we had a stated meeting in August, uh, just because the officers just so wanted to be there for another stated meeting uh, over the summer. So um, it was good. It was it was sparsely attended, but it was a good meeting. I gave a little talk on the seven liberal arts. Very nice. And Larry, have you done anything Masonically? Tall Seder's ladies' night picnic we went to, your, your wife, my wife. Um, nice function. Uh, breakfast, of course, with goose and gridiron, which continuing thing. That's about it. Yeah, I think the only thing I did Masonically was that Tall Seder's event. So pretty lame. Oh, Jason has one more. He uh, has a big bruise on his arm. <laughs> I was shooting some guns at a, uh, at a picnic, and I, I shot them all wrong. Yeah, the butt of the butt of the gun needs to go against the shoulder, not like your arm. I, you the know, bruise needs to be higher up. Well, I'll have to post a picture of that on the Facebook page. That's why they give Mason swords and not guns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. So, Oscar, what did you do Masonically while this last week or two? Last week, uh, um, as was mentioned, the AMD uh, event was pretty sizable. Um, of course, there's uh, the usual. Uh, talking to brothers, working on different research projects or just ideas. So um, that 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 pretty much was about it. And catching up with family, of course. Always good. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're actually going to interview Oscar Allen for real. Our guest this evening is Oscar Allen, an internationally respected Masonic speaker. Having presented over 100 lectures covering multiple areas of interest to over thousands of Freemasons, he's been published in several widely distributed Masonic journals, research bodies, and academic conferences on Freemasonry. Now, he was raised as a Master Mason in Wallkill Lodge, number 627 in Orange Rockland District, which is in the state of New York, he served as worshipful master of 2014 and 2015 of Wappinger's, Wappinger's Lodge, number 671, and that's in the Duchess District of New York. He's commander-in-chief of the Scottish Rite Valley of the Hudson, member of the Royal Order of Scotland, Pete, a fellow of the Grand College Rite of the Rights of the United States of America, an active member in the American Lodge of Research, and a fellow of the Pennsylvania Lodge of Research. He is a member and on the board of directors of the Masonic Society. Welcome, Oscar. I, I, I could have gone on for at least a half hour with all of the things you've done. So uh, excuse me, I did shorten it a bit to make it a little bit uh, more palatable to uh, to, uh, to, our, to our lowbrow audience. Yeah, to our lowbrow audience. <laughs> and all around good hey, guys. Well, welcome, so my friend. Proud. And I realized where you got that from. You must have gotten that from the academy because yeah. I what I usually send is usually two sentences. Brother Oscar Allen from Wappinger's Lodge and, you know, likes to talk Masonically and that's it. And yes, and you're absolutely right. That's where I did get it from. We're not afraid to steal material <laughs> no, from anybody. No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. How do you think not. you wrote the Red Serpent? What? Oh, come on. That, no, 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 God. You're, you're treading on really thin ice there. Harsh. Gosh. Well, anyway, you and I met for the very first time in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, when you presented a lecture on clandestine Freemasonry. 
you began that research from a personal experience. You want to tell us about that? Oh, personal experience. Um, so what I what folks don't always catch was that I spent uh, 14 years of my life from age 21 um, as a member of a clandestine Masonic order. Um, and as much as a researcher I was back then and um, my level of activity, going through the chairs, et cetera, um, nothing had ever came to fruition or to light to say, hey, this group was not necessarily a recognized entity. Uh, and it was only when I was in graduate school in Albany, New York, and traveling two hours uh, multiple times a week back to New York City uh, to attend lodge meetings and a pen and body meetings that um, a brother said to me, hey, you can, you know, you are Mason, you can travel anywhere. Why don't you check out one of the lodges in Albany? So I uh, got dressed and I went to, uh, with all my, uh, you know, all my regalia, everything else to go visit a lodge uh, in Albany. And I knocked on the door and uh, the brothers looked outside and said, um, you know, where'd you come from? And I gave them the name of the unrecognized group and the door slammed in my face, never to reopen again. Uh, at which point I figured out something's wrong. Um, and subsequently I spent, a, a, I would say about two or so years um, in what I call Masonic purgatory, because uh, I recognized that I wasn't in a legitimate after I went and I did more research and I looked into the own organization's uh, constitutions. And on the first page of the history, it clearly says that they were uh, created under the auspices of a gentleman by the name of John G. Jones, who is now known or has been known as the father of bogus masonry. Uh, so to any extent, uh, I... Uh, just didn't didn't know how to become regular or what to do. And a friend of mine who uh, has, you know, he passed over the last few years, um, but he actually cornered me and said, you know, um, you know, I, I got something to tell you. And I'm like, what? And he said, well, the stuff you're in is not necessarily correct. And I said, well, well, I knew that. I just don't know how to correct it. Then he gave me um, good information. And subsequently, I walked into Wallkill um, in 2008 and confused the heck out of them because I had all this stuff and I knew what I needed to do and they've never seen that before. Uh, so I basically had to wait for them to contact Grand Lodge who gave them uh, the guidance as to what's necessary for uh, men like me who choose to uh, leave their uh, clandestine groups and join regular masonry. Um, and I filled out necessary forms, I signed the attestations and I submitted a petition um, and the rest is history. I was initiated, uh, reinitiated in some way, shape, or form in 2009 um, into the Grand Lodge State of New York, and I never looked back since. In fact, the Secretary of the Lodge, who was a Mason for 37 years, said to me, "He is the only. I'm the only person he's ever met who wanted to be a Mason so bad and was already a Mason." So, Oscar, uh, we had a similar experience in my lodge. Uh, did you have to take the degrees, or were you simply? sort of examined and passed through? Now, the Grand Lodge State of New York's rules are quite um, distinct in the sense, uh, because you're in recognized body, they can't recognize degrees you took. So um, I essentially redid the degrees as a profane. Mm -hmm. uh, but prior to doing that, I needed to sign a renunciation form, renouncing, renouncing my membership in this group um, under the signature of the worship master, as well as the two wardens, and then the secretary would send that to uh, the Grand Lodge to get a, uh, a clearance letter 
and that clearance letter goes uh, in your file uh, with your petition and you go through the steps as if you were uh, a profane. So when I came through my degrees in 2009, um, I essentially, um, after 14 years of being in this other group, I essentially uh, was like, you know, like the returning student, <laughs> whereas everyone else, uh, the other six members of my class were um, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and, you know, I had to do the, everything possible not to ruin it for them <laughs> because I knew what was coming next. How similar or dissimilar was your clandestine lodge versus your, your lodges now? So uh, that's, a, I mean, that's a difficult question for uh, brothers from Pennsylvania. As you know, your degrees are much different than most of the rest of the United States. Uh, and in actuality, the difference in the ritual was more so from certain gestures and um, just the way uh, key um, signs are done. Uh, in addition to the the context of the language, so uh, they use a well, actually is readily available uh, a ritual called Lester's Look to the East, which is an old um, ritual that has been around that follows the, the web and the Preston style of work that we practice here in the U.S. with the exception of Pennsylvania and South Carolina and South Carolina, but nonetheless. It's, it was no different than for me saying the difference between California ritual and Michigan ritual versus New York ritual. They're always going to be, uh, or even as we've seen in New York City, you could have different ritual versus guys that are upstate. So it was very similar, but there are some minor, minor variances here and there. So there was no red, red flags over those that decade and a half until you started to try to travel. Correct. Go ahead, Larry. Oh, yeah. Oscar, one of the things that fascinated me the most was that particular presentation, clandestine Freemasonry that you give. And, and I'm going to read you what Chris Holdapp said in his blog about this. And uh, I feel very strongly about it myself. He was imploring people to come out to one of the presentations that we were going to give. And he said, and I'm quoting, cast a wide net and make special attempts to encourage attendees. It can open their eyes. As Oscar's own eyes were opened. Moreover, consider the very important demographics he represents. He is young, African-American, extremely educated, a doctor in epidemiology in New York, and well-traveled. He was once a member of a clandestine Masonic Lodge himself and is now extremely active and respected in the Grand Lodge of New York. How do you feel when you realized how powerful an impact your thesis made on Freemasons everywhere? Well, I will first say that um, I'm obviously um, humbled by that uh, um, description, but I would honestly say that my story is no different than the hundreds and in some cases thousands of other men who have not only gone this way before me, but have additionally um, still experiencing these kinds of, um, I guess, unfortunate situations. So here's the, here's the, uh, what really happened with me. I became a regular Mason. Um, of course, my lodge had never seen or figure, or, or they, they just didn't have an understanding about that. So I would get guys saying to me, oh, well, why did you have to do the degrees over? You're Prince Hall. I said, no, I wasn't Prince Hall. But yeah, you must be Prince Hall because, and we recognize Prince Hall, so we don't understand why did they do that? And it took, took me a while to try to explain to folks that 
there's a difference between the Prince Hall groups and the other groups uh, because they were being painted with the same brush and broad stroke. So what I came up with, as usual, based on my my um, my upbringing and always trying to at least turn things into an education tool, I said, well, maybe I need to present something to uh, the brothers of my lodge to explain to them, since a lot of them were confused and didn't really understand what was going on or why, why I had to go through the degrees all over. So I developed that, uh, that, that, that paper as well as the presentation. Uh, but what I did was the usual Oscar fashion. I take things a step further. Uh, so I did additional <laughs> research with, um, no. with brothers who I know in the Prince Hall and some great uh, historians uh, under Prince Hall that I personally had, had sought out. Uh, like Brother Ralph McNeil and Brother uh, Ezekiel Bay out of New York, Ralph being out in Jersey, but now over in Arizona. And um, I had essentially shown them the work that I had compiled, uh, in addition to showing the different complexities across uh, the quote-unquote, the unrecognized world, uh, and really trying to paint a picture so you anyone who sees or hears the presentation will not be confused as to the differences that exist and why those differences are important to know. Uh, and more importantly, to your latter point, and what Chris was trying to establish is the value of awareness uh, and how being aware makes us better Masons and also the need for our community. Uh, so it's not just within the fraternity alone, but anyone within the community to know the differences between these groups so that um, if there are individuals looking to become Freemasons, they can be at least pointed in the direction of regular Freemasonry so they have that first choice of refusal, for lack of a better word, instead of being like me and others who uh, unfortunately go to the first thing that says uh, square encompasses and not knowing the extent of regularity and, and the importance thereof. So when you came in, you totally hit the ground running because you're in you know things most people have never heard of. Um, so what was it like? Were your eyes op wide open, kind of like in, you know, in a, the, the statement we can't say, but in the first degree? Because there's so many things available in Freemasonry that weren't available in the clandestine world. That is that is absolutely true. And you guys are actually, I think, for the first time on the podcast, other than personal communication, um, are probably going to hear the reason why I do what I do so um, uh, vociferously. The one thing that was denied of me by virtue of my membership for those 14 years was that ability to travel. Now, yes, they had smaller lodges. If you, you know, they 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 met with each other. They had little districts. You know, not not a lot of guys or a lot of masonry, but it was constricted to those that 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 insular universe. But when I joined regular Freemasonry. The one thing that I was denied for those 14 years was that ability to travel. And I made it my, my goal to exercise that opportunity uh, and experience Freemasonry across the world uh, as much and as best as I could. Uh, so the benefits of meeting brothers, and I will tell you, um, a lot of my interaction, see, as you said, I hit the ground running in 2009. Um, 2010, I was already in Scottish Rite. Um, you know, and I was traveling quite, I think I saw all of the Northern Masonic Scottish Rite degrees in under one year. Uh, and that was a goal that we have um, to the uh, to our small valley. And we accomplished that by traveling all over the Northern Masonic jurisdiction and quite extensively within Pennsylvania. In fact, 
<laughs> they, the Pennsylvania brothers did treat us well. And I think I've become quote unquote notorious for showing up at reunions because there are those New York guys and we were able to complete those degrees in a, uh, in a very short, a short fashion. But the fact of the matter is by meeting all those brothers, you started to get that sense of, of camaraderie, that spirit, that interaction across um, states, across jurisdictions, across lodges, that people had a genuine interest to learn more about you and to experience that brotherhood. So that, that's that's what did it for me. That worldwide brotherhood that's missing when you're a neighborhood clandestine body. Yeah. yeah. And I would say the same thing even for those brothers in regular lodges who don't avail themselves of the opportunity to travel Absolutely. for whatever reason. I mean, you know, people have reasons, but um, I would say a lot of folks take it for granted. Yeah, there's um, even I would say most Masons, maybe even most Masons in this room aren't aware of the there's a King Solomon's Lodge. I forget what all the letters after it are in Lancaster County. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine was a, a past district deputy. Um, and I didn't realize, because he knew when I was going through the degrees and, you know, we shook hands as brothers. And once I got in, I realized, well, you're still my friend. You're still my brother, but just, I can't visit you and you can't visit me. Correct. Correct. And I think that's going to the awareness factor in, in the paper I wrote in the presentations, um, which takes it a step further, which, as I said, I always take things, you know, a little, little, little beyond what most folks will stop at. What I was asked in many of these interactions was, well, what can we do uh, and what should be done? It's one thing to just say, well, this is the, you know, this is the, uh, uh, the, the skinny of it. Um, and what basically I came in recommendations and I attempted this, I put a proposal into my Grand Lodge um, and uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be very, uh, very careful what I say. So I get a proposal into Grand Lodge about how to address this issue around clandestine Freemasonry, mainly because New York has the, um, the honor of having the largest number of clandestine bodies in any other state in the US, uh, followed secondarily by uh, Illinois, then by California and Texas. So in New York, where I'm from, uh, I, I, you know, brothers were asking, what can we do? How can we do something? And I devised a simple, a simple uh, program called uh, reclamation, reclamation of Regularity. Um, and I submitted it as a proposal to the Grand Lodge. It got to the, you know, a couple past grandmasters and a grandmaster, et cetera. And then, you know, there was an interest and in what was asked was, well, they didn't want to work on it or move on it until uh, they were assured that the Prince Hall Grand Lodge was uh, in, in agreement and would have been an equal partner. So they said, well, you have to get them on board. So I got them on board. I made attempts to get them on board, but then I got slapped on the wrist because uh, I did what I was asked to do um, and was told that I um, basically stepped out of bounds with respect to jurisdictional communication, uh, mainly because uh, one of the Prince Hall folks had wrote on the email stating that, hey, Brother Oscar's my point of contact on this initiative, um, and that ruffled some higher-ups feathers. Uh, so uh, the proposal got shut down, um, and I was told to, you know, wait and, and put it to the side. What I decided to do was to put it into my paper uh, and have it disseminated, um, you know, equally to anyone who had an who had um, a desire. What are you guys laughing we at? We call that a workaround. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're all about ruffling feathers here at Miss yeah. Light. Yeah. So I put it out there, and so the whole point is the Reclamation of, of regularity was three simple steps. Awareness. What do you know about the about each other? If you're two regular jurisdictions that share amity, visit each other. 
see what each other's dues cards are like, you know, interact, you know, go, go to each other's function, exercise what's, what's your due right in some regard. Uh, also, uh, educate the clandestine Mason. There are many of guys who were like me, who, and to Chris's uh, Hodap's point, who don't know and they're thinking they're joining regular uh, jurisdictions. So if you have something simply, even on your websites to say, these are the benefits of regularity, you know, click here, are you a clandestine Mason? Would you like to become regular? And if you meet the requirements, here's what you need to do. That's, that's something low cost, no, one, no one's feelings will get hurt. Uh, and thirdly, educate the community. You could, you could make it like a gun amnesty program. Like if you want to, if you want to come in, we'll just make it easier just, for just you. Just leave your dues card on the table and walk <laughs> away. I will, I will say Oscar at the uh, Jim Thorpe meeting, I think it was about three years ago. Exactly. Uh, the presentation was phenomenal. It was great. Uh, but you were also given an honor that day. You were actually made that day a fellow of the Pennsylvania Lodge of Research. And let me tell you, they rarely give fellows out, fellowships out. So, uh, but I'll tell you what, it was, it was an, an awesome choice. You did great, really. And, uh, uh, and I was glad I was there to see that. Yeah, thank you. And I still have my beautiful orange apron uh, that I love, especially being a member of. The oh, yeah, Pennsylvania. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You're a fellow. Larry's just a dude. No, I'm, I'm a presenter. I have an orange and blue apron myself. Ooh. We're going to take a break. We're going to take a break right now. Larry's when we come back, our guest, Oscar Allen, is still going to be with us. All right. So we'll be right back. Is, is it a fair statement to say that the majority of the clandestine lodges are spinoffs of Prince Hall? Do you see that more on the Prince Hall side? It is not the correct thing to say okay. uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, when you say spinoff, that means that they became, that they were they were originally legitimate members or legitimate lodges of Prince Hall. Um, and in fact, many of these groups are just uh, created out of um, thin air. Um, uh, it's, it's quite easy to actually form a clandestine Grand Lodge. Uh, Larry and you can go down to the Secretary of State, pay three hundred dollars, and you know form the Larry um, and, and and Oscar Grand Lodge, Angel Free and Accepted Incorporated. That could uh, solve a lot of problems. You know? Then we then you just then, then you essentially go to McCoy's, you buy. I can retire. <laughs> get a whole a, a boatload of regalia, and then now you start your pyramid scheme. So uh, it's very easy to do. Nice. You know, it's it happens, but what what people unfortunately confuse because uh, it tends to be that more visibly the African-American um, unrecognized groups are in those communities and people automatically think that they're Prince Hall or spinoff of Prince Hall. They're not. Um, as I just illustrated, uh, there were a few guys early on in 1900s who were expelled Masons that became, uh, you know, that went and formed like John G. Jones, but they're not spinoffs of Prince Hall. I mean, I think that causes uh, some confusion. Uh, there's another group which is called Prince Hall Origin that the best way I can say it, they're genetic cousins of the Prince Hall affiliate that we recognize, 
uh, but because they have an irregular structure of a national grand body and national grand lodge over their state grand lodges, they are not going to be deemed as being regular in practice. So they would never be recognized either. Uh, Oscar, this is Pete. First time I ever uh, met you, I was down at Masonic Week for the first time, and this was, I guess, two or three years ago. And, yes, sir. And, and to us here in Pennsylvania, at least in Lancaster County, we didn't have AMD before. So that was kind of like brand new to us. So I was just hoping you could give our audience, because there's a lot of Masons that have no idea what that is. If you could kind of <laughs> give an explanation what AMD is. You know, you guys are supposed to give me like the questions that I can just be short in my responses to, right? <laughs> when, when does that start? See, you can talk and we can eat. That's that's the. <laughs> for the for the record, no one, absolutely no one on the committee has offered me any Twizzlers, but that's okay. <laughs> so, the Allied Masonic degrees are an interesting uh, development, as I say, in the Masonic world, uh, because. They are a set of degrees that are regular in practice outside of the U.S., um, but uh, it, within the U.S., they don't fall within the normal structure that we know of, uh, meaning you're, you're in Scottish Rite, you're in York Rite, uh, you're in the Craft Lodge, uh, et cetera. So, for example, in England, you have things like the Royal Ark Mariner, which is a total separate um, degree system, um, you know, the Mark, Mark, um, sorry, the Mark Master, uh, the market lodge, in addition to the 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 other craft lodges, I'm sorry, the other um, York Wright bodies such as Royal Arch, etc. Now, while the Royal Arch Mariner exists in these other countries under their their normal structure in the U.S., it's unaffiliated. Uh, so early, I would say, in the, you know whatever point in time, the uh, these degrees were accumulated under a sovereign college of allied Masonic degrees, which then essentially became the Grand Council of Allied Masonic Degrees of the United States of America. And there are upwards of uh, 20 plus degrees that uh, are regular and provide for a greater context and understanding about Freemasonry, uh, but they're not, uh, they don't fit our regular American based system. Is, so, is, that, be is that because the, for the most part in Europe, there is no York right? That some of these well, degrees over there. Well, are, the are York Rite exists in Europe, especially in those in, in those jurisdictions where the General Grand Council of uh, Royal Arch in New York, the General Crack, you know, those groups where they actually help form York Rite bodies. But for the most part, if you're from England, Scotland, or Ireland, you have what we would call um, Royal Arch and the Royal Select. They don't call it the York Rite as we do, because right. the term is really the American York Rite in comparison to the rest of the world. So these degrees are housed in a this 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 grand council uh, and that grand council uh, is derived for two purposes. One, the maintenance and the security of these degrees and also for the advancement of Masonic research and education. And the way you can access the degree system or this entire allied Masonic system is by virtue of being invited into it. Uh, so it's not something you can just pop down a, a petition and say, hey, I want to join. Uh, it's more so uh, by having an interest in research, education, writing you know, uh, papers, et cetera, that you uh, may be invited to uh, become a member of a council of allied Masonic degrees. And once you have membership in that, you have access to all of these degrees uh, to learn, study, practice within uh, the context of the council. Now, 
last point, last last section to that point, I should say, is the Allied Masonic degrees, because they're invitational, requires you to be a Royal Arch member. So uh, as long as you're a member of a legitimate Royal Arch uh, chapter, you have you meet the base requirements of eligibility to be invited into uh, at the AMD. Very cool. Are, are we uh, back from break yet? Yeah, we've been back from break. Yeah. Are we really? We just pretended. Good morning, Larry. <laughs> I mean, I made the hand oh, signal. Just and to and, and Oscar, I may be seeing you uh, on, I'll be seeing you on Saturday if you'll be in DC. Saturday. Yeah. What's going on Saturday? Let's see. The Saturday, Royal, Royal Order of Scotland. Royal Order and uh, Scottish Rite. Yep. So I'll be down there. I, I, Someday, somebody lost their paperwork and got me invited to the Royal Order of Scotland. So I'm, I'm well, really found, looking forward. I just found out. I'm like, wait, I think I should go visit that. So I got to call the secretary's office on tomorrow to make sure I get a ticket someplace. You're supposed to invest Pete with his cod piece, I think. Isn't that correct? I don't know the degree yet. Don't wait. Don't ruin oh, it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Larry. I'll, I'll turn his back over to you again. Oh, geez. I lost control a long yeah, time ago. Yeah. Uh, this, this, this past March, uh, you were invited to the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge. Yes, now, sir. Your, your topic was on French companionship or French companions. And, and I, I, I thought to myself, wow, <laughs> this topic may not go over too good in a Masonic gathering. Because I had a French companion when I lived in Morocco. That was a French courtesan. Oh. It's a little different. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, but uh, give, give us a little bit of insight into the companion fraternity that you did a lot of research on. <laughs> uh, I'm still laughing at the fact that, you know, the French companion, I, I remember that interview you did in the, the back of the, the academy. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I didn't forget that one. That's because I kept but, thinking but, about but her. Now, Thank now, you very now, much. Now I'm connecting the dots. It's because you had a French companion. Um, so, okay, I got it. It's a little flashback for you, right, Larry? Yes, it is. <laughs> so the concept of French companionship uh, and the history behind it, it's, it's essentially a guild uh, that existed in France, and some would argue that existed there before Freemasonry made it into France. And uh, the, specifically, the the presentation and the research that I provide on French companionship is to illustrate uh, the history of that, plus uh, one key component. They use the square and compasses, compasses as their logo as well, which was important because uh, this started on this conversation I've had with brothers. Well, it, the square encompasses or or belongs to Masons, and having to tell them no, it doesn't. And there are other groups who are who are um, you know organizationally kind of brotherhood, etc., who use the square encompasses, and as a result, we don't technically own them. Uh, and one such group was the uh, or is the French Companionship Group, and their guild existed in the 15th century. They have records going uh, way back to that point where they even sued other people in court to get their monies. And essentially, the point is that you learned your trade. Your trade could be a carpenter, tailor, um, tanner, um, a whole bunch of essentially what we would call blue-collar uh, work trades. And part of that system of learning, going through a ritual in addition to learning your trade and producing a product, uh, your mastership product, you have to go on a journey called uh, the Tour de France. And that journey, not like the Lance Armstrong with a bicycle, you essentially you get a walking stick uh, and you travel across the country looking to 
basically provide uh, and seek work and to practice your trade. And once you're done, you come back and you you do your master's um, you know product and you essentially become a full member of the companion. Uh, and the other unique component of companionship was that they also had a Hiramic legend uh, of uh, an architect and uh, and and the uh, word that was lost, which which had some great. I guess similarities to what we see in Freemasonry. Do they test for performance enhancing drugs like the Tour de France? <laughs> no, oh, oh, but they do have nice sashes. Oh, very, very cool. <laughs> you, you went out actually, the, the extent of your research, when you get involved in research projects, you really put your body and soul into things. And you went over to France and spent some time over there following up and doing some additional research over there. How, how did you like going over there? It was fantastic. Uh, the first time I went to France, I was to present uh, the paper that I did at the Pennsylvania Lodge of Research uh, about clandestine masonry, which was very important because France in of itself and Americans have a, a misunderstanding when they say, well, you know, the French is all full of irregular masons. Um, and of course, there's a time period of the Grand Lodge Nationale of France where they went out of favor. But I got to see in this academic perspective a different side and a different understanding as to how the French look at Freemasonry. And a lot of that is based on their cultural um, history uh, with respect to uh, the, the, the craft, um, the craft, I'm sorry, the church uh, and the position uh, that uh, religion has a, a role to govern one's um, you know, day-to-day activities in addition to just the whole concept of being politically um, engaged in, in that way, shape or form. And seeing that France has such a rich Masonic history getting to go to the old museums um, and seeing uh, many of the uh, original documents that uh, led into uh, some of our uh, great um, Masonic, I would say, orders, et cetera, was quite, quite unique. And just being in France is, in, in, in that way, shape, or form, I think, was an experience in itself. But they were very welcoming. Um, and if you think people confuse Prince Hall Masons, uh, you can imagine what I was being confused as, oh, you're Prince Hall. It's like, no, I'm not. And, having folks being very disappointed because they wanted to meet a principal Mason. So I had to tell them, of course, <laughs> being that I was, uh, that I am an honorary member of the Delphi Union 14 in the Grand Lodge of Prince Hall Grand Lodge of uh, New York. I said, well, I am an honorary member. So I guess that that brightens their, their spirit in some shape. Uh, and another time I went was to present on a book that I helped, um, I helped edit with uh, John Hairston uh, in Toulon, South France. I recently, uh, presented the work there, Aston Lodge Number One, uh, the first lodge that was founded by Prince Hall. Cool! Wow, oh. so interesting. Very, very. I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Uh-oh. We have <laughs> crockpots, uh, meatloaf. An ongoing thing here with Brother Jason Lewis. Our host and uh, our producer of the show, and actually, Jason performs miracles every time we do a show like this. And when I was with you at the uh, academy meeting in March, I had my picture taken with you, if you recall. Yeah. I immediately, yeah. immediately sent it to Jason. Jack was with you what a week ago, two weeks ago. Yeah, two, he yeah. had his picture taken with you, of course, and immediately sent it to Jason. Oh yeah. We're doing that because Jason said he'd give his right arm to have his picture taken with you. 
So we, 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 we have a, Jason has a bromance going on with you. And I just thought I'd make you aware of that. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. I'm just regular guy. I'm just <laughs> oh man, I'm into those clandestine guys. Uh, <laughs> oh lordy. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell. You, well, I mean, I should expound on this. So uh, these guys think that you and I haven't met, and not that I would expect you to remember this, but when I joined the Scottish Rite a couple years ago, you know, up here, uh, a lot of us are members of the Valley of Lancaster which is yeah. only, we only have the Lodge Perfection here. So most of us yeah. uh, belong to the Valley of Harrisburg as well. Or Reading. Yeah. Or Reading. So, but everybody in this room is, we're, yeah, we're all Lancaster, Harrisburg in this room, except for Larry, because he, he Except played. for Jack. So. Yeah, so, so, just, so you, you, you and I. <laughs> oh, are you, are you Reading as well? I'm Red. No, yeah, I'm Reading. All right. Doesn't matter. Long story short, I joined with a handful of Lodge 43 friends, and yeah. it turned out that we all went to the Lodge of Perfection reunion, but I couldn't go to the Harrisburg reunion. And I didn't want to be left out, not be able to talk about Scottish Rite Masonry and have to wait another six months. So I went and had a courtesy conferral of the 32nd degree in the Valley of Wilmington, where you were the, uh, you did the 19th degree. (laughs) So I was, so I was in that class and, uh, and I was blown. A, it was the first time that I had really traveled outside of the jurisdiction of Pennsylvania. And B, I was blown away by the degree and see you were very kind stuck around and talked to everybody and we we chatted briefly uh, and then just a few d- days or weeks later you popped up on the people you may know on facebook and i was like oh it's that guy so you know ever since i've stalked you on facebook so there it is well i think you have one up on the guys you've actually seen me confer a ritual ah there you go oh i know i think i did too were you, were, were you in, let him get a let him get a slice of pie? No, he? no, I can't. Uh, did you, <laughs> were you were you part of the you were part of the uh, conferral team on the uh, Knights of the or yes. Order of the Scarlet Cord, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And yes. Sir. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> so sorry, Jason. You, we took that away. What, what, what I didn't bring up uh, was the fact that you're you are a ritual champion. You're one of the best ritualists in New York and probably the East for that matter. And then you won actually competitions. No. I, I won a competition. I tied for first, but I got the second prize on the second. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I love ritual. So I won't call myself the best by any way, shape, or form. They're far better ritualists than me. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I love the ritual. Very cool. Now, um, I think it's fair to say, what? though, the 19th degree is the cowboy degree. So there's, <laughs> depending depending on what jurisdiction that you're in, there might be two people on stage, but the... The other guy. Was there actually somebody on stage with you, or was he off stage with a microphone? Uh, no, there was. I usually say it's a two and a half degree. Um, you know, the the first being this is the Northern Masonic jurisdiction um, uh, edit of the nineteenth degree, uh, Brothers of the Trail. And there's one guy who is the he is the provides the opening uh, monologue. And then there's a guy who is ill, dying on stage. And then the rest of the degrees, essentially, uh, the monologues as provided uh, by uh, myself to the entire audience as the part of the cast. Right. And it's a good hour long. It's a long degree. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you, you never look at the time when you're actually conferring it, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm panicking. I have, I have 30 lines to learn for the eighth degree and I'm freaking out. 
Oscar, um, tell us something about you that most people don't know. <laughs> that's, that's difficult seeing I'm such a public guy, right? Let's yeah. see. Um, well, I can't say what I do for a living. Most people know that. Um, that's, well, here you go. You, you got a good question. So most people don't know that I uh, was born in the island of Grenada and I grew up on the island of Barbados um, before moving to Brooklyn uh, with my family emigrating in uh, 1989. And how did, how did you avoid both a Caribbean and a Brooklyn accent? It, it, there's little pieces of it in there. You can hear it. I did that on purpose to see if you were catching <laughs> I did that on purpose to see. So, um, well, I would say early on, I learned to, one of the gifts, if I could call it that, is that I, I always like to speak to people on their level, not meaning high or low, but just uh, being a people person um, and learning to communicate in a way that at least makes folk, um, you know, comfortable, et cetera. So I can throw on different accents uh, in probably a matter of seconds, but um, I tend to uh, mask certain accents for the benefit of uh, ease of understanding. Very neat. I don't, I don't have my Lancaster accent anymore. <laughs> How did you do when you were in France with that? Oh, I, it went, how I, I... How'd you master the accent with France? <laughs> uh, je parle français, j'ai tout le long uh, du collège depuis quatre ans. Oh, but of oh, course. Oh, All, right. All right, All right, All right. Oh, now we're showing okay. off. Now we're just showing off. That's all. <laughs> Los cucarachas and Tron, pero no pueden salir. <laughs> the cockroaches go in, but they don't come out. That's all I know in Spanish. <laughs> oh. Do you have any wow. questions for us, Oscar? You can interview us. <laughs> How have we not been expelled yet? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, what has been, I would say, one of your defining moments with respect to the podcast is, you know, guests that you just find to be um, one of your highlights. I'm not asking who, just in general, your, you know, from your perspective. I, I was excited that they let me come back. That's all. I yeah, I, I think what our charm is, is that we actually act like four guys sitting around a table having a conversation. Um you know, we're, we're not trying to out mason each other. Um, you know, but say the word, say the word, uh, apron sniffing. Is that what you, <laughs> yeah. So no. And I, and I think even when we have, um, you know, crazy intelligent guests like yourself, we're able to hopefully to, you know, you come across as a real person. You don't come across just as this, you know, big brain. You come across as a big brain with a, a it's a good personality to, as well. So. I think that's what well, we like. Thank you for that. And if I could ask another question. Absolutely. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so one of the things, especially traveling across, uh, you know, the U.S. and across the country, speaking of masonry, there's always this concern that brothers have about how do I get access to information? How do I get access to um, why I joined Freemasonry? And as you know, we still exist in an environment where uh, sometimes you're told to sit in a corner, you young whippersnappers or you whippersnappers in general, and there's a divide. That's, I'm basically talking about the divide between either generation or, or philosophical. 
how do you think or where is your role uh, as far as Masonic Light podcasts in helping uh, reach those uh, brothers out there who are looking for something? And what do you view your responsibility in that regard? Good, Jack. I think you said it once before on the air. What? There's a well, no, but how there's a lot of guys looking looking for something in Freemasonry that they've never gotten. Right. Well, yes, that that's true, but I'm not sure we give it to them here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think. No, that, go ahead. Larry. I think maybe part of the answer to that, and I'll and I'll and you guys chime in, is the fact that I take a look at the makeup of the four guys here, and we're talking about age. I'm the oldest dude here. I'm 73. I'm looking at my counterpart, Pete. He's in his... 48. 48. I'm looking at Jack across here. He's... 57. And here's Jason, who's 26. 39. 39. <laughs> so you would think that the age disparity... I, I'm one of those older old guys that sits in the back of the row at, uh, you know, at a lodge meeting. But basically, I'm not. And I think the fact that we blend together really well gets a point across that it doesn't matter how old you are, who you are, or where you're from... Freemasonry is about a blending and, 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 and working together uh, to, 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 to arrive at goals, to arrive at uh, more knowledge. And, and I'm hope that this show can convey this to a point. We try to do it as humorously or uh, as, as possible and, and but not make, you know, not demean the craft in any way. If you know, you know what I'm saying. Jason won't let me play in the new Blue Lounge when he starts it, though, because I'm too old. <laughs> oh, we can start the Blue Lounge. You know, I think that uh, I'm a big proponent of podcasts, especially the Masonic ones, that, you know, when I when I talk to new candidates and do lodge education, I talk about how, in my personal opinion, our, our lodges and our appended bodies have, you know, an, an element of esoterics and ritual, an element of charity, and an element of fellowship. And they all kind of weigh differently between those those three items. You know, AMD, which I'm not a member of, but, you know, to me, it appears that it's very esoteric. And, you know, uh, Tall Cedars is very heavy on the, the charity and heavy on the fellowship. And I think that, you know, I've said it a number of times, and it's probably going to be my uh, mantra in Masonry for a long time, is that variety is good. So I don't think that Masonic Light necessarily has a specific responsibility. I think that we all do as Masonic podcasters. And, you know, the one thing that uh, that we do that the public doesn't see is that all of us are connected on a, on a private Facebook group where we can share ideas and brag about shows or, you know, we've met all these guys virtually, but I think that, you know, podcasting delivers masonry to people just like virtual lodge. You know, you know I think virtual lodge is kind of the component, the other component of, of, uh, of what we do here for podcasting. So if we can offer, offer a variety and deliver, you know, masonry via podcast or whatever method, uh, you know, we might be more on the fellowship side uh, and, you know, guys like the Masonic Roundtable or Brought to Light, you know, might be more on the esoteric side or a mix in between. So I think our responsibility is just to continue to put, you know, this this brand of Freemasonry out there and uh, and and support our other fellow brothers in, in their Masonic podcasting endeavors. I think, let I mean, to, to pull it all together, each of us is called to do his own thing within the craft to, to share the light, right? We're all called to that. We're all supposed to share the light with our brothers. Um, so we have to examine ourselves and identify what that is in us. Uh, what, what's our thing? What, what can we do to share the light? And 
what we four do is we just get together and goof around for an hour and record a podcast. And hopefully there's some insights that people can share. Jason has the talent to pull it all together. Uh, Pete has the, the really... I have the equipment. Dark sense of humor <laughs> that keeps us all grounded. Larry... Larry has an outline that we work off of, and, and, and I've got a little bit of knowledge about ritual stuff that I throw in once in a while. And here we are a year later with 20,000 downloads. That's amazing. It's just phenomenal. Now, that was once in Croatia, but, you know, hey. <laughs> and I'll they executed that guy. So I'll take that's the one. You, you asked earlier, Oscar, what was a defining moment in in the life of this podcast? And I would have to say... The first show Pete and I did together. Uh, we did this, I, I, don't, I, I think, kind of on a lark. Uh, he was doing a show, another show that he put together, and came up with an idea one day and said, hey, let's, let's try this out. We had no idea what we were doing. Right. I was involved in a very extremely well-produced comedy show, and we did, I don't know how many episodes, and we had like nine listeners. And we had, <laughs> profe- it, was, it was hilarious. I, it was really it was. good. And then... You know, Larry and I put this half-assed thing together, and we had 500 listeners like in a week. Yeah, yeah, like, and it just and it just grew from there. So I think the defining moment was the first one. We we had no idea what this would grow into. Zero. Well, I I, I thank you for that because I there there are a few times where I tie in what I do professionally with the Masonic realm, and today um, I attended this conference around. Uh, communication is mostly health communication, but the science of communication. And I, there are four things that was discussed today, and I'm going to introduce them just for the sake of what, what you guys just mentioned. One is about improving the experience and the quality of life. The other is advancing the effectiveness of communication uh, and promoting uh, positive behavior, positive experiences, and also that in healthcare, reducing the risk. Um, now, if I use that in the in the construct of your your podcast. And while I wasn't trying to say that you have this responsibility, you do have uh, a audience. And one of the things that I think is important to reflect on is the fact that you you are providing a service to those who oftentimes feel that there's no one else out there. And the unique thing that I see today, and, and as I said, when I listened to the, uh, the, the, the Larry episode of the Academy, um, and I emailed you guys or messaged you guys right away to say, all right, look, I got to get on this uh, and reach out to you all, is because uh, similarly, you don't lose that fabric of being people, of being regular brothers. Uh, and that's important for one reason. We fall victim to the ego in Freemasonry too no, much. No, no way nah. does that ever happen. No. <laughs> not, I'm not talking the little ego. The really- <laughs> I always thought that was part of a meeting. <laughs> That's to keep the under the hat. branch of ego. Um, and it's, it's difficult because sometimes you don't see it, but I think having that balance and having friends that can keep you honest. I mean, I have brothers message me and like, hey, Oscar, if you ever think about becoming like holier than now, you know, we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to like have to drag you down. And I said, I hope you would, if you were my friend, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be the guy that quote unquote feels he's bigger than his britches. And then all of a sudden, you know, turn on folks because of the ego. So that's my observation. So it's not even a caution. And that's why I asked the question 
because I, sometimes we don't say it and it may be helpful for others who are listening to understand that when all said and done, we're in a volunteer organization that we choose to pay money to be a member of. Right. You know, sometimes people think of it as being the, um, you know, as if they're the heads of national, I'm sorry, the heads of, of countries. The reality is we're heads of our own, in our own minds, but we never should lose sight of, yes, there's a greater goal to Freemasonry, but keep ourselves in that due bounds because we can be our own worst enemies. See, and as an epidemiologist, I was sure that you were going to say that we were a virus. So I, I don't know. It's just, I was thinking more like a well, plague. <laughs> plague. <laughs> there, there, there is some aspects of the anti, anti-microbial resistance, but luckily... <laughs> See, I was thinking more of a symbiotic kind of like uh, parasite to the host. Freemasonry is the host, and we're the parasite, but we need each other. That's, that's very good. Go. I like I that. Go with that. I can I like... go with parasitic. Hey, I, I have to ask. Appointments <laughs> for that. <laughs> nice. Pete's I, got enough appointments. Anyway. I have to ask you, Oscar. This is a this is a personal question, but we can answer it on the air. <laughs> why okay. doesn't Why doesn't Chris Hodap talk to me? I have no idea, Larry. <laughs> this is the first time I know that he doesn't talk he to doesn't me. He doesn't talk to me. He won't answer my calls. He won't. Uh, I'm heartbroken. Oh, poor Larry. Sounds, like, sounds like he's smart. Larry, Larry, that could be because in Indiana, they're stalking laws. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. Well, there's parts of Indiana where you have to walk to the end of the driveway to get on the phone. You know, so maybe he's in one of those Amish neighborhoods. That's on the other side of Ohio, isn't it? Yeah. No, no, I think it's just Larry. <laughs> I think we need to take a break. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll uh, wrap up when we come back. Well, we got to listen to, uh, should we listen to, to Seth on yeah. our break? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe you'll hear Seth. <laughs> I'm so, so excited. All right. More Seth. Okay, go ahead. All Seth all the time. You're about to enter Corpora Obscura, the realm of weird fraternal organization. Leave your Freemasonry behind. Prepare to meet Druid. Caliphs and wild creatures. Knock thrice and enter at your own risk. Good day again there, Masonic Light Podcast listener. Today on Corpora Obscurum, we're going to take a deep cut into Prince Hall Freemasonry with the Order of Cyrenes. The Order of Cyrenes, attached to the Prince Hall Knights Templar, is unique to Prince Hall Freemasonry. It started in Pennsylvania in 1884, consisting of wives, widows, mothers, and daughters of Master Masons. They originally wanted to benefit humanity, taking on Simon of Cyrene, the biblical character, as their example. The first court was St. James Royal Court No. 1, located in southeastern Pennsylvania. In 1904, the United Grand Commandery of Pennsylvania, Prince Hall affiliated, officially adopted the Order of Cyrenes as their Ladies Auxiliary. In 1919, the group spread to Washington, D.C., and to New Jersey in 1926. Local groups are led by a royal commandress, a woman, and a chief engineer, a master mason. The group is still active today, operating mainly in the northeastern United States, but there are other courts and grand courts around the country. Want to learn more about America's fraternal history? Visit the J.H. Rathbone Museum in person in Lafayette, Indiana, or online at www.jhrathbonemuseum.org.
Hey, we just heard Seth Anthony's uh, Corpora Obscurum. Very interesting. Very interesting. We have no idea what clip we played, but we're sure nope. it was very interesting. It's sure it was be awesome. Yep. He just gave us a whole new batch of of recordings, so we're good to go. Oh, very cool. Obscurums. Of Obscurums, yeah. And uh, so we have a Masonic News, Jack. Yes, there is Masonic uh, News. Oh, well, let's see if we can find the guy. Good news, everyone! Masonic Light News. News not fit to print. According to the Rocky Mountain Mason Facebook page, in a show of Masonic unity and brotherhood, Lodge Shalom number 1600, a predominantly Jewish lodge in the city of Glasgow, under the jurisdiction of the Grand Lodge of Scotland, installed Brother Wali Khan, a Pakistani Muslim taxi driver, as worshipful master. Later that work, later that week, the lodge also admitted a Hindu physician as an entered apprentice. When asked about these remarkable examples of the nature of Freemasonry, worshipful brother Khan said, Oi, this is going to make the stewards for tumult at dinner such a mishigas. <laughs> Congratulations, Shalom Lodge. Well done. And that's the Masonic news. <laughs> so mote it was. Oh. Wow, now we got to start making fun of Jack instead of Larry. <laughs> Come on, I got a snort out of that one. Come on. That was good. <laughs> oh. So uh, I, I did get a fan a fan letter. I think I shared it with you guys. One. Uh, <laughs> what? Just one. the one. No, what actually, there was two. I couldn't find the second one. Uh, this is a big, this is, this is Hello Larry. Big fan of the podcast, maybe has taken over as my favorite now, and I look forward to every episode. I'm a Freemason in England under the United Grand Lodge of England in the province of Essex. Was was just a message to say thanks to you and the guys. Keep up the good work, sincerely and fraternally. Brother Jack Saunders, Boswell's Lodge, number 7759 in the province of Essex. Thanks so much for getting a hold of us, Brother Jack. We appreciate that. And you you know what? Record your voice on your cell phone. Email it to us, and we'll play it. Love it. Thank you. Absolutely. Or send us a message on the Facebook page, or call us and leave a drop Le- on leave the Leave our voicemail. Number. Yeah. So Just let us know you're out there, please. <laughs> so, uh, Oscar, is this where we get into what, what, we're, what we have going on coming up? Why are you asking him? But I he, don't know. Uh, <laughs> This, so, is, this is the Oscar Allen show, whether you know so, it or not. We just seeded everything to him a while ago. So, Oscar, do you have anything? What do you have Masonic coming up in the next, you know, month? Or, okay, you're okay. We should shorten that yeah, shorten next that week. Shorten that to like two or three days. <laughs> I'm glad you caught up with that one because uh, um, that's that's any, any given day. It's crazy. So let's see. I have um, one of my friends is supposed to be um, receiving or hopefully being elected into uh, the Grand Commandery of the Grand La- of the of, Gra- of New York. Uh, I, we also have uh, the Scottish Rite um, Supreme Council meetings coming up, both in the North and the South. Uh, then I have a lecture I'm given in September um, with the uh, members of the Masonic Society um, in Kentucky, in Lexington, Kentucky. That would be the um, see September 8th through the 10th. Uh, subsequently, I also have other uh, 
uh, lectures in Ohio, um, in addition to the Michigan Lodge of Research in Detroit uh, in September. And at the end of September, I will be going to England uh, for a series of meetings there and going to the Grand Ball on the 30th. So it's going to be a, a down period for you then? It's going to be like, it's, yeah, it's relatively light. Nice. Yeah. So uh, your employers are relatively cool about all your travel? <laughs> Uh, or they don't know. They just think you're in the basement researching. Yeah, he's doing research. That's <laughs> it's all research. No, they they're cool. They uh, some don't understand. Uh, of course, I have staff that um, obviously don't understand Freemasonry. The uh, younger generation call everything Illuminati. Uh, so I have, to be <laughs> have to be very careful as to how I say things. But uh, for the most part, I have flexibility and the ability to travel, especially if it's a weekend or. Or, um, or or hours or times when I can put it in conjunction with a work-related travel that I try to get killed two birds with one stone. Or as some people say, I just never sleep. Oscar, if any of our listeners wanted to watch a lecture or read a, a, a paper that you've written, where is a, a good resource that they can find a collection of your work? Ooh, well, I I no, <laughs> I don't have a website, um, nor do I have like a posted schedule of my um, of my, my I, I get yelled at for that because brothers say, hey, we don't know where you're going, and I don't necessarily advertise where I'm going until after you I know, get. Speaking there. of advertising, we could help you with that. <laughs> yeah, we we need a new mixer. A lot of masons all at once. <laughs> do you do you have any eight by ten autographs uh, that we can we can sell on our website? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure you would not be able to sell a single autograph for Oscar Allen. I'm not. You know, www. Uh, small potatoes in comparison to some of the other guys out there. I think um, masoniclife.com slash Oscar Allen has a nice uh, ring to it. Right, we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it happen. <laughs> we have a spinoff show. Is that what we just got? The Oscar store. <laughs> it's like the Cleveland show, but we, we hope it's going to work better. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> oh God! I, I almost did the gazinga, zinga, zinga. <laughs> yes. All right, you got it. There you go. Oscar for the win. Oh, Jason, hey, you, you guys told me you were coming for me. I told you. Right? <laughs> Jason. No, but, um, there, there are a couple of my lectures that may be available on, on YouTube and things like that. And some of my papers that are, um, you know, if I make available or they're available online or in some of the journals. So, um, but I don't, I don't have like, Oh, go here and you see everything Oscar, but I'm working on a project that I'm hoping. Would your, help. your lecture on companion, uh, for the French companions is on YouTube through the uh, Pennsylvania Academy of uh, knowledge. It is on, it is available on YouTube. Yep, I watched it. Yes, because you I, weren't there. So I know, I wasn't. I couldn't be there. Jason, you have anything going on? Well, I'm working on the uh, the Oscar Allen bobblehead as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, aside from that, I've got, uh, well, we go back in session uh, next month. So we're just uh, getting ready for that, getting everything ready for September. There's a barbecue stag night for... Grotto. For Grotto. And no, for Tall Cedars. So Tall Cedars... And yeah, there's a get together jazz house as on well. Sunday, yeah. And then there's um, the 22nd. There's the stagnant barbecue. And aside from that, that's about it. So we do have crib notes, which I'm going to give you the card for. I, we might have to wait. Wait yeah, until next. To wait. Yeah. yeah, we can do it. We can do it next. We can do it next. Larry, what do you have besides breakfast? Uh, the breakfast. We have tall cedars picnic <laughs> coming up. Jeez. We have the stag night. 
Okay. <laughs> That's a biggie. <laughs> Jack, you have anything going on? Well, having a cookout for Grotto at my house. Oh on yeah, I forgot Sunday. about that. Yes. By yes. the time any of the listeners hear this, it will already be over. So, haha, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, and then you can uh, wear the smallest hat you can find. Yes, yes, we're getting uh, fez yamakas is what we're doing. They're just little tiny low-rise fezes. That's what we're doing. And uh, we're just about three quarters done in the basement. About to start hanging drywall, and uh, so that's exciting. Just there today. It's going to be awesome. And uh, shameless Basement, lodge base, in the woods. Basement of his lodge. You shameless lodge in the woods plug. Okay. Um, lodge in the woods for anybody that would like to come. Uh, uh, Oscar, just so you know, it's a, and you're welcome, by the way. Uh, you would be my guest. Uh, it's a lodge meeting in a, at a Boy Scout camp in a large outdoor amphitheater. Um, there's a covered roof in case it rains. We get between 200 and 350 people out for a steak dinner and a lodge meeting and the Grand Master and the Grand Line come and give out lots of awards, and it's just a general good time. Um, it's a good opportunity for new Masons to come out and take part in something that's a little bit unusual, um, and we can always use an extra hand. Tickets are available online. If you go to eventbrite.com and just search for 2017 Lodge in the Woods, that should get you there. All right, and what do I have? I have uh, order, Royal Order of Scotland. Tall Cedars, Grotto. Then I come back and uh, that's it. Council, I'm an officer in council, an officer in Tall Cedars. So I'm busy. Bam. Mm. Okie dokie, Larry. Time to go home. You know, where it's time to go home. Take us out of here. All right. Banjo music, Cue please. The chickens. Special thanks to Monarch Studios and to Mrs. Monarch for tolerating us for as long as she has. We love you, Steph. Our producer and co-host, Jason Lewis, who takes the show to new heights every time. Jack Harley, our news director. R.C. McCorvey, brother on the street. Uh, we need a we need something from you, R.C. We Get, need a sign of life. We, we need a sign of life here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, brother Seth Anthony for his insight into fraternities that we had no ideas existed. Uh, our audience response advisor, Luke Warm. And our grammar consultant, I am Shirley Wright. Our foreign news correspondent, by the way, Irma Blather, I heard from her the other day. Did you? She called, left a, a message on my uh, phone, and I've been trying to get back to her. So I, I hope to have her on the show here shortly. And recognition, of course, to the law firm that keeps us out of trouble and out of jail. Do we cheat him and how? This is Larry Maris. Jason Lewis. Jack Harley with special thanks to our guest, Oscar. And Pete Ruggieri. Thank you, Oscar. Thanks, thank Oscar. You, 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 could, you could say goodnight, Oscar. Good night, brothers, and thank you all for uh, indulging my hanging out with you for the full hour. We loved it. A lot of fun. Take care, buddy.
Awesome, Oscar. We, we stopped recording, but who knows? Oh, they're going to clap now. All right. All right. <laughs> that, clap, that clap was so, um, I would say, just just random. <laughs> that's what that that's what that's our charm. We're professionals, Oscar. <laughs> and as you as you know, when you listen to the show, it's not going to sound anything like what we just went through. That's to the that's to the magic that Jason does that's on the great. show. Of course. Of course. I believe you now. <laughs> All right, sir. Take care. Have a good one. Thanks so much for indulging us. Thank you. Not a problem. Thank you. Sorry for the, uh, the technical difficulties. No, I think we're no, no, good. It was awesome. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, great. Sounded good. Enjoy, enjoy your evening. Great. Thank you, Thank brother. you, Oscar. Very Bye-bye. Well. I'll see you this weekend. Oh, so I finally found the camera. That's one click away. Well, what? it was like a window behind the other windows. Ah, uh, all right. Is he, is he off for sure? Um, I don't see him. So, yeah, don't, don't, still don't talk about him because that'd be mean. But, yeah, I think he's... So...